Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan, author of the series of books, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters, 10 volumes available, paperback, ebook, and Kindle format at Amazon, and Nine of the ten volumes are available in Audible or audio format at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon as well. So please go out, partake of a copy or two. And now, may I introduce you to my brother and co-host, KJ Sheehan. Kev, how are you? I'm doing great. How about you, Bill? Good, man. You out sailing today. Yeah, we were out on the ocean, and I uh, meant to tell you, too, we saw, like, a little six-foot hammerhead shark. Ah, nice little hammerhead. Yeah, he's chasing a little fish on the surface, like we saw a fish jump. Uh-huh. And then uh, he was thrashing around in circles and that, chasing this fish. I don't I don't know if he got it, either. Wow, well, as long as he doesn't get you. Yeah, <laughs> I was in a boat. <laughs> I would have had to bop him on the nose. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> now, were you in a race or what was going on? Um, I was helping run the race this weekend. Okay. So, in, a, in a little motorboat. Yeah, just overseeing it. Yeah, kind of helping out if anything goes wrong, you know. Making sure there's no cheating going on. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, uh. More helping, more helping people in in this role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have Keeping to have them from getting heat heat stroke, giving them water and stuff like that. You know. Yeah, kind of like a, a rescue boat. Exactly. Exactly. They call it safety. Yeah. So. No, that's a good thing. Good thing. So, what yeah, are well, we? When you race, you you know you have to help out too. Like you got to put in your days of. Helping out as well as your days of having fun racing. You know, I wanted to tell you along the lines of uh, boating, there was a boat explosion right down at Stony Brook Yacht Club today. Holy moly. And uh, they showed a picture of the boat, and the boat, I don't know how there could be a a boat explosion that would cause third degree burns, and the boat didn't look damaged. That's weird. Yeah, I mean, it showed like this, you know, maybe a 26 foot. Uh, you know, these big cruises that have got below deck, but the cockpit is like very large up on the upper deck. Yeah. Uh, wasn't enclosed. Uh, it had a white top side and sides and stern, you know, the whole boat was white gel coat yep. and they had a close up shot of it parked right at the float in front of the uh, Stony Brook Yacht Club next to the ramp. And I didn't see any indication of fire or charring or anything. And they said three people were taken in a hospital. Uh, one of them had severe burns. You know, I wonder, Bill, I'm, I'm all out on a limb here, but 
you know, a lot of boats have these alcohol stoves. And I, and I wonder if um, they had a problem with the alcohol stove because they burn nearly, nearly clear. You know, you can't see the flames. Oh. And I wonder if something happened there. I yeah. don't know. Uh, I'm no, speculating. It, no, it makes but. sense because uh, if all the damage happened inside the cabin, uh, blackening yeah, or burning. You know, otherwise, otherwise, it's a gas explosion usually usually at the fuel dock you know you're you're filling the boat with gasoline and there's a little bit of a spark and the fumes are out yeah but that's a big boom you know and there usually isn't much of the boat left <laughs> no that's a good point uh, it was yeah. probably a stove related incident in the cabin uh thankfully for them if there are thanks to be given, it happened while they were, uh, you know, lashed and cleated to the float. Yeah, yeah. Could get some help in a hurry. Yeah, sure. I mean, right there, you know, on the weekend, yeah. there plenty of people around over there when that went down. Oh, yeah. So, And it was a beautiful day here to do, so I'm, I'm sure the people were fishing down on the railing over there, and there were people out in the yacht club, you know. Well, prayers <coughs> and thoughts go out to all those folks. Yeah, amen. involved in that. That burns. Ooh, that's nasty, man. Yeah, amen to that, brother. So, yeah. what do we have in our cryptids so in the you, news? Would you take a stove explosion or swimming with a six foot hammerhead shark? Because uh, uh, it's kind of a cryptid. You know, we got to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. I, I bow out of both of them and hope for the best. <laughs> <laughs> You, know, you see, wouldn't want to take the hammerhead and give him a little poke in the eye? Well, listen, if the six-foot hammerhead gets a chomp on you, he could do some damage before you know what happened. Oh, no doubt about that. He could do a lot of damage. Yeah, six-foot <laughs> hammer biting into uh, the right artery, and you could be in a world of trouble pretty quick. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. So what do we All got right. going on today, Kevin, our cryptids in the news and other oddities segment? Yeah, Bill, you probably saw it in the news. So uh, this week we're going to go into the news um, where a couple of folks, former military guys, testified in front of uh, Congress about, about the fact that the U.S. recovered non-human biologics from UFO crash sites. Yeah, isn't that uh, interesting? What do you think they mean by non-human biologics? Well, in other words, they found... I was just having a discussion about this with my friend Mike uh, less than two hours ago. And uh, some type of entity that appeared to have a living body of some sort, you know, guts, uh, you know, know, something organic... You know, like we would call ourselves or an animal or a fish, and so. But it's funny they say non-human biologics. I mean, that could be that hammerhead shark, right? Could be a hammerhead flying a saucer, (laughs) (laughs) smiling at you through the windshield. Yeah, I'm like, why? Why don't you just say like uh, some type of alien being? Yeah, biologics. Did the did the UFO UAP slam into? A possum that was crossing the road. (laughs) (laughs) Non-human biologics of a possum. You know, really, Kev, a biologic could be a piece of seaweed sitting in a bucket seat. 
Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> remember the, the old remember the old voyage to the bottom of the sea? Oh man. Where that the, was a good one. The, the Sea View sub was always oh. getting inundated with something growing through the air conditioning system. Uh, the Sea View. That was a good recall. The Sea View was the little one, right? No, that was the flying sub. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, Nelson, Admiral Nelson, Captain Crane, Kowalski, all yeah, of those you, guys. I remember. You got that. a better memory than me. That was that was a cool show. Yeah, I can't remember that stuff. Yeah, I love that. Sometimes there was some type of weird or creature coming on board. Oh yeah. Or, you know, I mean, it was like an early Star Trek. Yeah, it was just in a yeah. aquatic realm. You know exactly, exactly. Yeah, no. Definitely. Yeah, so so these gentlemen, you know. Um, former military, like I said, they went and they testified. Um, Ryan Graves, who was the executive director, of, um, is the executive director of Americans for Safe Aerospace and retired Air Force Major David Grush. I think I'm pronouncing it correctly, G-R-U-S-C-H, and retired Navy Commander David Fravor. Um, were sworn in during a House Oversight and Accountability Committee um, on uh, the 27th of July, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I saw a, a, a little bit of it, uh, in particular when the one woman on the bench was questioning that gentleman about the biologics. Yeah. And uh, he answered her, quite frankly, non-human. Yeah. So, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. No, that was it. Yeah, just... Yeah, so this is in the news all over the place, right? So the particular article I'm going to talk about is from NPR.org. Um, but again, you can find it in whatever your favorite publication is. This was well covered. Um, and uh, I'll talk about some of the, some of the points here. So this uh, Major David Grush, who, who uh, went from being part of the Pentagon's UAP task force to now becoming a whistleblower told the House Oversight Committee's National Security Subcommittee that he had been denied access to some government UFO programs, but that he knows the exact location of UAPs that are in the U.S. possession. So basically, in his testimony, he was saying that there is a a formal program by the Pentagon to go out and find these uh, uh, UAP uh, uh, craft and uh, try to reverse engineer them, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which kind of makes sense, right? And it would also explain the whole concept of these men in black folks showing up uh, in a flatbed truck, et cetera, like we talked about in Pennsylvania. Um, You talked about it a little bit related to the South Haven Park rumored uh, UAP crash, etc. Yeah, don't say nothing, don't ask any questions. We don't talk to you, you don't talk to us. Don't worry, we'll take care of it. Yeah, in and out, boom, boom, boom. Yeah. You know. And then he went further. Grush also alleged that the U.S. Hmm. had retrieved non-human biological matter from the pilots of the crafts, adding, quote, That was the assessment of people with direct knowledge on the UAP program that I talked to that are currently still on the program, end quote. 
Yeah, so there's, you know, there are other people who are non-whistleblowers who are still involved. Absolutely. It's ongoing. Absolutely. And he, he talked about the fact that, you know, they were questioning him for more and more details on this. And he was saying, listen, I will share that with you in a secure location. Uh, you know, one of these classified skiffs, they call them, where uh, um, it's a sensitive compartmentalized information facility where, you know, these folks with a certain level of clearance can share information. There's no phones in there, no recording, and it's, you know, I guess bug-proof of sort. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So they kept pummeling him. You know, I guess it makes a good article as well, and he kept saying, hey, I'm happy to share it with you, but it's secret stuff. Let's talk about it within the SCIF instead of here in front of all these news reporters. Right. Well, he, he gave... What he was comfortable with, and then absolutely yeah. more more in depth questioning would have to be for eyes and ears only, uh, and of course that will remain secret. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, a lot of folks um, forget, right, uh, in the general population, that he has to, you know, even though he's he's testifying in front of Congress or a subcommittee of Congress, he can't violate, you know, the oaths that he's given in the past to protect classified information, right? Or he can, but there will be severe penalty for it. Oh, there'd definitely be ramifications for that. Exactly, exactly. Uh, but uh, so it, it it's uh, kind of interesting in a way, more than a bit interesting, that we got that. Yeah, no, and he went on to say that although he hasn't personally seen any alien vehicles or alien bodies... Uh, but that instead, his opinions are based on the accounts of over 40 witnesses that he interviewed over a four-year period while he had his role on the UAP task force. Uh-huh. So I wonder if he was hanging out with our buddy from Alabama uh, from Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah, Travis Taylor. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, well, you know. There are plenty of witnesses out there. Now, if you need somebody with a Ph.D. at the end of their name to be your witness rather than... No, but I mean, I don't know that there's plenty of witnesses of seeing, you know, non-human biological matter and uh, and and seeing these uh, UAPs, you know, the, the actual vehicles in storage, like at a military location. Well, we had, uh, we had Bob Lazar who they tried to disparage uh, going back into the 90s. Uh, we had all kinds of witnesses uh, relative to the flap around uh, the Roswell incident and what unfolded after the actual uh, crash recovery. That was a weather balloon. We talked about that. Yeah, and, 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 and dummies being dropped on ropes. <laughs> Come on, man. The only dummies that are people that buy that. Maybe it was a bear. Could have been a dancing bear. You're right, Kevin. Could have been a bear. <laughs> Could have been a on bear a rope, in a tutu. On a rope tied to a weather balloon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I'm not buying any of that jive, man. No, and Grush goes on, right, and he says in this article, quote, my testimony is based on information I have been given by individuals with a long-standing track record of legitimacy and service to this country, 
many of whom also shared compelling evidence in the form of photography, official documentation, and classified oral testimony, close quote, Grush said. Well, there you go. If that's not good enough for you, I don't know what is. I mean, that's pretty powerful, right? Yeah, you know. Yeah. Listen, man, the testimony of one cop in a courtroom can put you away. Yeah. You got 40 people. Who've got well, and then so so he goes on, uh, and they also they say that I'm sorry he doesn't go on, but the article goes on to say that the subcommittee also heard testimony from former Navy pilot Ryan Graves and retired Commander David Fravor about their alleged encounters with aircraft of an unexplained origin, and Graves right Ryan Graves he recounted the incident that we talked about on this podcast. Uh, where where he encountered a flying object off the coast of Virginia Beach in 2014 while he was flying an F-18 Hornet for the U.S. Navy. And he said he came upon an aircraft that looked like a dark gray or black cube inside of a clear sphere. And that he estimated it to be 5 to 15 feet in diameter and unlike any aircraft he has ever seen. Yeah, a cube in a sphere. And get this, in case folks you're thinking, oh, that's a cube inside of a balloon, Grave claimed that the UAP could remain stationary despite the presence of hurricane force winds. Incredible. Right? I mean, this guy is flying an F-18 for our country. Yeah. Yeah, they're pretty well-schooled and educated, those boys, as uh, I recall. Right. And then retired Navy Commander David Fravor offered the panel his own eerie account, which we also covered on this podcast, of the Tic Tac video captured in 2004, again while he was flying an F-18, this time off the coast of San Diego. Yeah. And he says, there were no rotors... No rotor wash or any visible flight control surfaces like wings, he said of the UAP. And he said, as he and the other pilots tried to get closer to the mysterious craft, it rapidly accelerated and disappeared right in front of our aircraft, leaving no detectable turbulence. And how about kept ditching in and out of the water at high speed? Yeah, that's part of that story. He didn't cover it in this testimony but that is that is part of that that account yeah and that that would be like you or i running into the side of a bridge abutment on the highway in our car no well they show they remember the underwater disturbance mm-hmm. too mm-hmm. like there was multiple things going on in that that sighting so yeah i have some pretty, then, yeah. i have some pretty wild stuff in my book ufo sightings and encounters and i'd urge you people to go out and buy a copy of that uh, not many copies of that have been selling, and I don't know why. I mean, that's the nature of writing books. But there are some outlandish uh, UFO uh, sightings and encounters in that book, and I guarantee you, if you read it, you'll be glad you did. Or if you listen to it. Or if you listen to it in the audio book. Yes, and then I'll, I'll close this out. In the article, they talk about that there was an overflow room where spectators could watch the testimony. Right, right, and um, um, one one of the one of the folks that watched the testimony said, out of context, 
He said their stories sound fantastical. But given the credentials of all all three witnesses, he said he's a believer. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's pretty uh, pretty impressive stuff. we got to stay tuned to see what comes next out of this. Well, look, either you believe him or you're saying everybody's a liar. No, I know, but we'll see uh, what the government says, right? Yeah. I mean, we saw that on uh, Skinwalker Ranch in the last couple of weeks, one of our favorite TV shows mm -hmm. uh, here at the podcast, where they had the senator there from Utah mm -hmm. on, and he's like, hey, my uh, constituents want to know what this is. Mm -hmm. Well, listen, I'm interviewing this uh, former guide from Colorado. His name is Jeff. Jeff, if you're listening, good talking to you, and we'll be having more conversations. I find this individual not to be, not only to be, credible, but extremely intelligent and knowledgeable about uh, his his work as a guide. Like I say, I get educated by people that I talk to, and this guy is schooling me on uh, what it is to be a guide and what and how he was doing what he was doing when he had these Bigfoot encounters. No doubt about so it. So yeah. I, have, I have no problem. Uh, with these individuals kind of telling you what they can and avoiding what they can't say and whatnot. They're just, it, it shows their intelligentsia is working. You know, they're not going to back themselves into a corner where they're going to end up in a jail cell uh, to have a conversation on a microphone, you know. So yeah. uh, interesting, Kev, really interesting. So we'll have to stay with this, bro. Absolutely. You know, follow it uh, where it leads us, you know. And folks, by the way, if you're new to the podcast, we, our first segment, Cryptids in the News and Other Oddities, even though our podcast is called Bigfoot Terror in the Woods, uh, obviously this segment is inclusive of anything that could be labeled odd, unusual. <laughs> and this is certainly something that... Uh, uh, requires our attention off and on as we move forward. Or even freaky deaky. Yeah, you know I like the freaky deaky. <laughs> I got a little dance called the freaky deaky. <laughs> <laughs> hey, do you remember when uh, John Travolta in Pulp Fiction was doing that dance with that woman and he was doing that cat Catwoman Thurman, yeah, 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 it's great. He was doing that Catwoman thing with the two fingers by the oh, eyes yeah. and stuff. <laughs> it's a great one. What a character! Oh man. Well, is that it, Kim? Should I move into that's my it, account? Man, that's it. We're ready. You got a, you have an a, an interesting account coming up for us. Yeah, I you know I always come with gas. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, this is really interesting. So I'm going to break right into this. Uh, this account was brought to me by a woman named Melanie Schaefer and her girlfriend, Lisa Hubbard, who found something very interesting while hiking. Uh, this is what Melanie had to say about what she and Lisa found. The actual name of the trail we were on, Bill, is the Third Fork Rock Creek Trail. And as you already know, I live in Idaho. It was June of 2000 
when Lisa and I had planned to spend the day on the trail. When we awoke, it was raining fairly steadily, and neither of us will ever be accused of being easy on ourselves, especially when it comes to hiking, so we decided to go in spite of the rain. The two of us arrived at the trail around 8 a.m., donned our ponchos, and began the trek. This trail is what I would call a fairly moderate hike of a little over eight miles with an elevation gain of close to 2,000 feet. There is a section of the trail where there are very tall, bushy weeds, and for lack of knowing what they really are, they may actually really be weeds. This area, as well as a number number of other areas of the trail, tends to be rather muddy, especially during or after a rain. On this particular day, as we were approaching this portion of the trail, so much rain was coming down that the weeds had collapsed inward, now covering the trail. Had someone been in here that was unfamiliar with the trail, they may have thought they had gone the wrong way. That's how hidden the trail was from view because of this deluge. However, Lisa and I had been here several times before, and we began to part the soaking wet bushes and make our way through, knowing that on the other side things would open up a bit. The mud was so thick in here that at one point I actually slid backwards, landing flat on my butt, and thankfully I didn't get hurt. When I got up, we began to take our time a little bit, not wanting to experience more of the same. And at this point, we were both soaking wet in spite of our ponchos. As we proceeded through this leg of the trail... We were now lifting the plants off to our sides and watching where we placed our feet on the ground beneath us. Lisa had taken the lead, and we were jibber-jabbering about everything and nothing when Lisa said, Hey, check this out, sister. Oh my God, there are giant footprints over here. I walked up behind her. And as she held the weeds up in the air so that I could look, there they were. It was a single line of large barefoot prints going out ahead of us on the trail. As we stood there, it actually appeared that something fairly large had made its way through the weeds to our left and then turned onto the very trail we were on, the bushes being well trampled down and parted as it passed through. The muck in here was so loose and mushy that, as I said, I had fallen, and our feet were actually sinking some two inches with each step that we took. As we looked at these prints, whatever had made them had sunk in a good six inches or better and the sides of these prints were collapsing into the middle. At this point, we couldn't see much detail, and yet we knew that we were seeing bare feet and big ones. 
We moved forward following these tracks as they continued on the same trail that we were on. It had now been raining fairly steady steady for about six hours. There was some water within the tracks, and yet we could still make out the distinct outline of some toes. When we had finally made our way out of these confounded weeds, the ground started to firm up a bit, and that's where we took the photos that I had sent to you. At the point where these pictures were taken, our feet, as you could see in the first photo, were leaving an impression of less than a half an inch, if that. And yet, in the picture where I showed you my boot print next to the barefoot one, you could see the barefoot print had compressed the ground some two inches. As a reference, my foot size is a nine and a half without the boot on. The print in the image is more than double the size of mine with the boot on. The two of us looked at each other and said, These are Sasquatch prints. There was absolutely nothing around here with a foot shaped like that having marched through here in the rain prior to our being here. We also soon realized that these had to have been made fairly recently, perhaps even minutes before we had arrived, because there was very little water accumulated within the tracks themselves in comparison to other puddles nearby. The two of us had become so frightened by what we had discovered that we actually doubled back through all the crap that I just described to you unwilling to continue in the same direction as whatever had made these tracks. The Sasquatch had made its way down to this trail by taking a shortcut through the weeds, and having found the trail, or known of the trail, was continuing outbound as we were. There's really not much more that I can tell you other than what I've already said with the exception of this. It was obvious to us, having never seen a Sasquatch, what had left these prints. The two photos which I sent to you clearly show a gigantic human foot with wide, stubby, oddly shaped toes. All of the prints were in a direct line with each other, as well as as being a left followed by a right, etc. We attempted to take steps between two of them, trying to determine the distance between strides. It took me two and a half very long and awkward steps to make one of the ones the creature had made. When I got home, I measured one of these abnormal steps of my own and they were just short of three and a half feet each. This creature's stride was about nine or eight or nine feet. However tall that makes it, I have no idea. But this was one really large beast. What do you think of that, Kev? An eight or nine foot stride sounds like a giant critter. You gotta be tall. To have the legs in that kind of stride. 
Yeah, I misheard you because at first I thought you were saying three or four feet was the stride of the creature. And then, you know, I listened more carefully and you were like, no, that's his stride. Because I was like, my stride's got to be four feet. Yeah, she... That's six foot two, but I mean, not nine foot. Right. She was saying that her stride, which was abnormal. So she was taking these big, like, stretched out giant steps. And when she got home and could measure it, it was about three and a half feet. Yeah. And she said that it took two of those or two and a half of those abnormal steps of her own to measure up one stride of what they were seeing. Yeah, that's crazy. So that is one freaking healthy step. Yeehaw. And this Can was in Idaho? Idaho? I heard they were from Idaho. Did they say this happened in Idaho? I lost you, brother. I said, did this happen in Idaho? Yeah, I don't know why. I lost that segment. It just oh. kind of like flattened out of me. Folks, you know, once in a while we have a little bugaboo, but I got Kevin back, whatever happened. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it happened in Idaho. On this, uh, she called it the Third Fork Rock Creek Trail. Ah, okay. So if anybody out there is familiar with that particular trail as she named it, chime in with us and uh, tell us what you know or maybe have seen over there yourself. Super cool. All right, Bill. I I love that account. Yeah, Bill, that is one crazy account. I mean, uh... Fantastic stuff. I could just imagine trucking along in the mud, climbing, uh, doing a couple-hour hike in in Idaho. Yeah, it's hard to believe, isn't it? You know, these people. But listen to how hardcore these two women were. You know, this was their day for their hike. They're in the rain. They don't care. They're going out anyway. Yeah, they're falling down in the mud, (laughs) climbing a mountain, probably in northern Idaho. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's uh, that's crazy. Yeah, so uh, two hardcore chicks having at it. Well, like people say, uh, you know, how do you how do you run into one of these creatures or evidence of these creatures? You got to be out there. It wasn't like this was their first hike, right? It was like a regular ritual that they would go out and do these hikes. Yep. And when you're out there a lot and you're not looking at your phone the whole time, you end up seeing something. Yeah, and she said they had been on this trail what three or four times. Yeah. So when the weeds were collapsing over it, they knew the way it went, and they had to, like, shove these weeds out of the way to get where they were going. Exactly. Exactly. Interesting, too, in the shoving of the weeds out of the way was when the first footprints were exposed. Yep. Yep. And uh, so this thing had come through, according to her surmisal, out of the woods or the weeds to the left and was following this very trail that they were on. So this thing obviously was aware of this route, like a game trail. Yeah, definitely some cool stuff. Yeah. So what do we have in our listener mail? Yeah, we're into uh, part three, the listener mail segment. We got a couple of good emails we're going to cover this week, Bill. The first one comes in from Greg. And uh, he writes, WJ and KJ, you can see through this thread, I am a big fan from the beginning. He's like, you guys kill me. (laughs) This is my first attempt at listener mail. I hope it makes you chuckle. (laughs) The little I've gathered from your personalities, I highly doubt you will ever offer merch. (laughs) And frankly, I get it. 
But if you ever do, I highly suggest a shirt that simply says, What do you think, Kev? (laughs) (laughs) He said, It's at the end of almost every WJ story, and I love it. (laughs) Keep up the great work, boys. I look forward to every Sunday morning and a good Bigfoot story. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Greg, the merch. What do you think of that, Kev? Hey, what do you think of that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's funny how people pick up on stuff, but, you know, what creatures a habit, you know? Well, that's, by by the way, my wife and I were watching uh, Expedition X the other night, and they they were chasing some, it could have been an old episode or a new episode, I don't know, but they were chasing some stinky creature in the Adirondacks. I think we've covered it, and they're like, oh, man, it smells like, Rancid, do you smell that? And uh, she said, it smells like a freaking Sasquatch. (laughs) (laughs) She said that? What's that? She said that? Yeah, because she was was making me laugh because she knows we say that at the beginning of the podcast. Yeah, well, maybe she listens to it. Oh, no, 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 no. Sorry. My wife said that. Oh, oh. Not on TV. (laughs) We were watching it together, and she said... Because a woman on the TV saying, like, do you smell that? And, you know, Karen said, it smells like a freaking Sasquatch. (laughs) I I bust out laughing just like you. (laughs) So good stuff. Good stuff. Our next email comes in from Bob from Pennsylvania. And this is about the Kecksburg UFO sighting that we covered. He says, love your show. I grew up in Mount Pleasant, Pennsylvania, down the road from Kecksburg. Kecksburg had an artesian spring. They used it to make soda pop, Kex soda. And it was sold in a wooden crate of 20 bottles. Anyway, my dad had a storefront shop on Main Street. My dad was chief of our fire department, too. He, He saw a fiery ball streaming high over town headed for the mountains toward Kecksburg. Hmm. While at the shop, he saw the glow in the sky. Mr. Bullybush, a friend of my dad, told about what he saw to my dad, described as acorn with writing. Later, my dad saw a military flatbed with a tarp covering an object drive up Main Street at the at at out of town towards Pittsburgh. On Route 30, Hmm. there was a radio announcement on KDKA about the landing around the same time because people called into the radio station asking about it. And he writes, they have a replica of the craft at the Fireman's Club in Kecksburg, which was to be a prop for a movie that was never shown or maybe never filmed. Anyway, great show. Keep up the great work. And always carry more gun than you think you're going to need, Bob. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Good stuff. See, Thank you, see, Bob. See, there's a lot of people uh, involved in that Kecksburg thing who know somebody who, you know, they could share something like this fellow. I mean, it was seen by a lot of people, yeah, Bill. Yeah, yeah. Flat out. That's, that, that's what we hear and what we've read. Right. And is everybody so a stuff. complete ignoramus? No. No, I mean some of them are. But not <laughs> you want to name a few? <laughs> not, not to me. <laughs> nah, I, you right. know, uh, I give a lot of people that I meet uh, the benefit of the doubt more often than not because to me, 
they seem sincere. Yeah. No, it's good stuff. And uh, Good stuff. Yeah, very interesting. And thanks for writing in, all of you guys. You know, by the way, Kev, uh, folks, if, you got, if you've seen something, say something. And you can contact Kevin and I at uh, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. Hit the contact button. Tell us what you've seen or leave a number where I can reach you. And uh, we're glad, glad, glad to hear from you. Absolutely. All right, Bill. Well, that's another good podcast in the books. Thank you so much, folks, for listening. And uh, thanks for giving us those five-star reviews, too. I mean, I always mention how good it is for drawing new listeners to our podcast. But it's also good for us because we just like to hear good things. And we like to hear that you're enjoying it out there as well. It keeps us going a bit. Awesome. Yeah, and leave good reviews for the books, too, and the audio books, folks. It does a lot of good. And by the way... If you should find yourself hiking on the Third Fork Rock Creek Trail in Idaho, or anywhere else for that matter, remember one thing. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight. <laughs>